everyone, my name is Kate Lin. I'll be your scripture reader for today. Um, our passage today is taken from Romans 4, um, verse 1 to 25. Verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who were not merely circumcised, but also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, for it is adherence, the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise will rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. For the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thank you so much, Kaylin, for reading so well for us. I asked her this morning if she wanted to switch, you know, because my voice is uh, kind of weak, so I could read the scripture and she could do what I'm doing, but she said no. 
So, it's, it's a joke, it's a joke, guys. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, before we go into the preaching of God's Word, let me just uh, bring you two announcements. Number one, it's the first time that Si Yang is presiding for us, so let's give him a round of applause. I think he did so well. I was telling him, you know, with the call to confession, it's like with a guy his size, you know, you're kind of like, you must confess your sins. You know? But thank you so much, brother. You did it with such tenderness and love. Uh, the second thing to announce is that Joel, as you all know, is a pastoral intern. He's going through his ordination exams. And I'm glad to be able to announce that on Wednesday, Joel passed his ordination exams with flying colors. So congratulations, Joe. And the next step is really together as a congregation. Sometime in January, we'll have our congregational meeting. And in that congregational meeting, we'll be voting to call him as one of our pastors. So please be looking forward to that. Okay? So thank you so much for doing so well, Joe. That was uh, really quite impressive. Yeah. Let's go to the Word of God in prayer. And uh, can I just say to you, you know, whenever we come to God's Word, we come needy. We come needing His grace. We come needing His gospel. And in some sense, the person that needs it the most is the preacher. So as you pray for yourselves, pray for me as well, that we would receive God's grace and be moved again by the love of Jesus. Father, we thank you that this is your word. It is unchanging, it is without error, it is powerful, it is a double-edged sword. And so, Father, wherever we are today, whether we are joyful or sad or despairing or feeling angst and anguish within, would you come, Lord, through your word and speak a word of grace speak a word of healing speak a word of hope to us in jesus name we pray amen our friends we're working our way through the book of romans let me give you a quick recap of three important lessons that we've learned so far from romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 we learned that the gospel is the main theme of the book of romans in romans chapter 1 verse 16 paul says i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek why verse 17 for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous or the just shall live by faith so first lesson we've learned over the last few weeks the gospel is the main theme of the book of romans and then from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to Romans 3, verse 20, we learn a very dark truth. The dark truth is both the unrighteous and the righteous, the irreligious and the religious, neither has the righteousness that makes us acceptable to God. And therefore, whether you are unrighteous or self-righteous, whether you're irreligious or religious, you are under the wrath of God, and we are in big trouble. We saw in Romans 3, 21 to 31 last week, the God's answer to our lack of righteousness, whether you're unrighteous or self-righteous, is to give us His own righteousness. And we receive this righteousness not by good works, but by faith in the cross work of Jesus Christ. So that's to bring us up to date right now. Now in Romans chapter 4 that was read for us so beautifully today, Paul is responding to an objection from religious people. They've heard him preach about justification by faith alone, how you receive the righteousness of God, not by human works, but by believing. Now, those people who know their Old Testaments very well might have checked. They will say, hey, you know what? I did this character study, the life of Moses or the life of Abraham. And you know what? As I studied the life of Moses or the life of Abraham, didn't the Old Testament saints do things that made them acceptable to God? Weren't they faithful to him? Didn't they do good works? And weren't they accepted by God on the basis of the works that they did? 
one of the key figures that they would point to is the person of Abraham. You see, Abraham was the first Jew. He's the patriarch of the Jewish people. He's the one that all of Israel looks to as, 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 as their ancestor, as the one who is an epitome of faithfulness. In fact, the Jewish people thought that there were two reasons why Abraham was found acceptable to God. Number one, because he was faithful under testing. Remember when God tested him with Isaac? He willingly offered up Isaac. So he was faithful under testing, and therefore he was acceptable to God. The second reason that they found him to be such a hero was that he gave himself to circumcision. When God required circumcision, he surrendered himself and his household. So because of these two reasons, they would look to Abraham and say, Look at this faithful man. Look at this good man. Look at all the good things that he did. Wasn't he found acceptable or justified or righteous in God's eyes by the things that he did? Now, Paul will answer them. Look at the Old Testament more carefully. And as you look at the Old Testament more carefully, you will find, yes, indeed, Abraham was faithful to God, but it was because he was justified by faith and not by works. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 2. It says here, If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul is saying Abraham was not justified by his works. And then in verse 3, he quotes from Genesis 15, verse 6. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, as righteousness. So Jewish people, your greatest hero, the Old Testament itself says he was not counted righteous or justified by his works. He was justified by faith, just as you are. And Paul, being the master of language that he is, does more than that. Not only does he use Abraham as an example and show that even the Old Testament shows that Abraham was justified by faith and not works, by quoting from the Old Testament, he further clarifies for us just what it means to be justified by faith, just what it means to receive the righteousness of God by belief in Jesus Christ. It means, friends, that you are counted as righteous. Now, the word counted is an accounting term. It can also be translated credit or impute. And you'll notice that it appears 11 times in Romans chapter 4. Look at Romans chapter 4. It's there in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. In other words, friends, to be counted as righteous is the main theme of Romans chapter 4. So not only is Paul using Abraham as an example of someone who is justified by faith, he is clarifying for us just what it means to be justified by faith, just what it means to receive God's righteousness by faith and not by works. It means, friends, that we are counted as righteous. We are credited with righteousness. We are imputed with righteousness. And can I say, friends, that unless we understand this, we will never fully understand the freedom that we have in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Romans 4 lends itself to answering three very important questions for us this morning. Number one, what does it mean to be counted as righteous? Number two, how can't we be counted as righteous? 
And number three, how can we be counted as righteous? What does it mean? How can't we? And how can we? Let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 5. It says there, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now notice who it is that God counts as righteous. It's the ungodly. In another version, it's the wicked. It's the wicked one that God justifies. It's the ungodly and wicked person that God counts or credits as righteous. Now friends, to be counted as righteous is to be given a new status by God. It is not a change of character. It is a change of status. Now many of you have heard me use this illustration, but I'm going to use it again. It's just like marriage. One moment, you're a single person. But the moment you say your vows and the preacher uh, declares you married, you've changed status. From a single person, you become a married person. Now, in some ways, nothing has changed. I like to say, you know, the day before I got married, you did a blood test, and the day after I got married, you do another blood test. The cholesterol levels are about the same. But some ways, I haven't changed. But in other ways, everything has changed because I'm no longer a single person. I'm a married person. Now, those of you who are married, you know that there are adjustments that need to be made uh, after you get married. And immediately after getting married, you're not immediately in marriage mode just yet, right? You're still living in a lot of ways like a single person. But day after day, as you continue in the relationship of marriage, you become more and more and more of a married person. Now, friends, this is what it means to be counted as righteous. One moment, you are ungodly and wicked. But the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, God credits His righteousness to you. You are now given the status of righteous. You are now given the status of child of God. One moment you are unrighteous, the other moment after you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are given an unshakable and unchangeable status of one who is righteous. To be counted as righteous is not a change of character, is a change of status. Now, friends, did you notice in verse 8 that the term counted can also be used negatively? It says there in verse 8, of a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God no longer counts you a sinner. He counts you as righteous. Now, friends, for the accounting books of heaven to be balanced, for us to be credited with righteousness, means that that righteousness has to come from somewhere else. And for our sins and our unrighteousness to be not counted against us, it needs to be credited to someone else. And so, friends, for the accounting books of heaven to be balanced, we believe that this passage teaches something called double imputation. On the one hand, our sins and our unrighteousness have been imputed or credited or counted to Christ. On the other hand, His righteousness has been credited and accounted to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what it means to be justified by faith, my friends. This is what it means to receive the righteousness of God by faith. We are counted as righteous. We have been given the status of righteousness because Christ has taken our status of unrighteous sinner. It is an unchangeable and unshakable status 
that we have been given. And friends, when you look at your own life, and I'm just looking at mine, and you still see the sins that you struggle with, you still see the many issues in your life, your anger, your lust, your pride. We're discouraged, aren't we, as we look at all these things. We've been Christians for many years, but yet we continue to struggle with the same things over and over and over again. Friends, when that happens to you, that's when you need to know with crystal clear clarity what it means to be justified by faith alone. It means, friends, that you have been given the status of righteous, and nothing can change that. It is a once and for all change of status that is eternal, unchangeable, and unshakable. That is what it means, friends, to be counted as righteous in Christ. It's a change of status. Our sins have been credited to Jesus, and His righteousness has been credited to us. Our sins have been imputed to Jesus, and His righteousness has been imputed to us. Which means, friends, that right now, at this very moment, when God sees you, when He looks on you, He no longer sees you as a sinner. He no longer sees you as unrighteous. He sees you through the lens of Jesus as perfectly righteous. And it does not matter where your heart is. And it does not matter what you've been doing or haven't been doing. God looks upon you and says, you are righteous because of Jesus Christ. That is what it means, friends, to be counted as righteous. Now, friends, in order for us to be convinced of this, Paul then goes on to talk about how we cannot be counted as righteous. So firstly, look at verses 4 to 8. He says, we cannot be counted as righteous by our good works, by the good things that we do. Look at verse 4. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He's using an analogy from the world of wages and work. If you work for it, then what you get is what you deserve. It's no longer a gift. But last week we saw that the justification that God gives, the righteousness of God that we receive, is a free gift received by faith. If you work for it, he says, it's no longer a gift. It's something you deserve. That's not what it means to be justified by faith. That's not what it means to be counted as righteous. Look at verse 5. To the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If you don't work for it and you get it, then it's a gift. Then it's grace. That's what it means to be counted it's righteous. Now, if you're not convinced, you'll say even David, the greatest king, believed in this. Look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. King David believed that you're counted as righteous apart from good works. And he goes on then to quote from Psalm 32 in verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are Covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You can't be counted as righteous by your good works, by what you do. It's by believing in 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And this doctrine of justification by faith alone, of being counted as righteous, was not just in the New Testament. It's also there in the Old Testament. Abraham was justified by faith. He was accounted as righteous. David was justified by faith. He was counted as righteous. His sins were not counted against him. He was made righteous through faith. Secondly, we cannot be counted as righteous by our rituals. That's in verses 9 to 12. Paul here deals with circumcision. Now, why circumcision? You see, friends, in Genesis 17, God gave circumcision to Abraham and his offspring as a sign that they belonged to him. Now, surely, friends, by going through such a painful ritual, by submitting themselves to such a painful ritual, surely that was one of the reasons why God would count him as righteous. Well, no, Paul says, look at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? That blessing there refers to the blessing of being counted as righteous. He goes on to say, for we say, verse 9, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. You see, friends, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis chapter 15. He only received a sign of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. Jewish rabbis believed that there was a 29-year gap between Abraham believing God's promises and being counted as righteous and him receiving the sign of circumcision. So circumcision cannot be what made him counted as righteous in the eyes of God. It was faith and faith alone. Why then circumcision? Well, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision is a sign and a seal. It's a sign pointing to a greater reality and is a seal confirming that reality, but it isn't the reality itself. The reality is that God justifies or makes righteous people according to faith. It's a sign that points to it. It's a seal that confirms it, but it isn't the reality itself. Now, make no mistakes, friends. Circumcision is very important. It was given as a command of God. It's a ritual that God requires of its people. But even though God requires this of his people, it's not the reality itself. It's not what makes someone righteous in the eyes of God. So you cannot be counted as righteous by your rituals. And this does a very beautiful thing. Look at verse 11. It says here, Abraham could be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Abraham then becomes the father not just of the Jews, but also the believing Gentiles. Abraham becomes your father, my father. Then look at verse 12. He's also the father of the circumcised, the Jewish people, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. Who is he talking about? He's talking about believing Jews. So at the end of the day, what really matters is faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, Abraham is your father, not by circumcision, 
not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So friends, we cannot be counted as righteous through the rituals that we go through, even the rituals that God commands of us, like circumcision or baptism or the Lord's Supper. Make no mistakes, friends. These things are commanded of God. They are important for our faith. But even though they're commanded of God and important for our faith, they are not the cause of what makes us counted as righteous. We cannot be counted as righteous before God by our works, nor by the rituals that we go through, even if those rituals are commanded of God. Thirdly, friends, look at verses 13 to 15. We cannot be counted as righteous by obeying God's law. Verse 13 says, The promise did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14, If it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. You cannot receive the righteousness of God. You cannot be counted as righteous. You cannot be given the status of righteousness by obeying God's law. So what then is God's law for? Well, verse 15, the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, Paul is not saying here that if there's no law, there's no transgression, there's no sin. What he's saying is, without the law, we cannot see the sin. We cannot see the transgression. Without the law, we are blind. The law makes clear to us where we have transgressed and sinned against God. That is what the law is for. The law drives us to Christ and faith in Christ so that we can be counted as righteous, not by obeying God's law, but by believing in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Not by works, not by ritual, and not by law. We cannot be counted as righteous by doing stuff. We can only be counted as righteous in God's eyes by believing in Jesus Christ. How then, friends, can we be counted as righteous? Now, I know what you're thinking. Easy answer. Faith. Faith is what makes us counted as righteous. You're right, friends. But the question is, faith in what? And if you read verse 13 to 25, it doesn't begin with your faith. Being counted as righteous does not begin with your faith. Look at verse 13. It says, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Look at verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In other words, that the promise may rest on grace. So where does our righteousness begin? It begins in a promise that God has made to Abraham. Now, friends, the next portion here assumes quite a bit of knowledge of the book of Genesis. So if you're new here, you are uh, just exploring the faith or you haven't read the book of Genesis, uh, you may get lost a bit here and there, but, but this is what I suggest. You maybe go home and you can read the book of Genesis. Or on our website, there are sermons that we preach through the book of Genesis uh, over the last few years. You may like to just 
listen to those to just kind of understand it more fully. And it's kind of like when you're watching Netflix and you jump into an episode and you don't quite know what's happening and you need to jump back a few, uh, a few kind of like episodes, uh, you may want to do that. You can still enjoy the show, but you may want to fill in the gaps by going back. Okay, so just to let you know that when Paul is writing, he's assuming a lot of knowledge. He's assuming that people actually know the book of Genesis and they know it well. Uh, and some of you do, so, so, uh, so this will be okay for you. So friends, the reason why any of us can be counted as righteous by God, Paul is saying, is because God made a promise to Abraham. It's a promise, verse 13, that he would be the heir of the world. Now what does that mean? Look at verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations. God called Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you the father, not just of the Jewish people, but the father of those from many nations. That is what it means for Abraham to be the heir of the world. So friends, if you go back to Genesis 15 verse 5, God said to Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. It's a promise. You'll be the heir of the world. You'll be the father of many nations. You will have great many descendants. And it's in response to this promise, Genesis 15 verse 6, that it says he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise that he would have many descendants and he was counted as righteous. Verse 16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Now God's promise to Abraham would be fulfilled not because Abraham was faithful to God, but because Abraham believed God. And so it rests completely on grace, not on works. Not only is the promise a gift, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham is a gift as well. My friends, for this to be true, God must have the power to fulfill his promise. And so we see in verse 17, it says, In the presence of God, in whom he believed, and who is this God? He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You know why Abraham can trust God that he will fulfill his promise by grace? It's because God is powerful. God is the one who gives light to the dead. God is the one who creates out of nothing, ex nihilo. God is the creator who is powerful. And because of that, Abraham can trust that God will fulfill all his promises by grace. Now friends, verse 18 gives us the answer to why Abraham was able to be faithful to God, faithful under testing. Look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. He trusted and believed in the promise of God. Verse 19, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. You see, friends, when Abraham received the promise that he would be heir of the nations, he had no children. More than that, he could not have children. He was old, and Sarah was barren when God promised them that he would be heir of the world. He didn't even have one child. 
And God said to him, you will be the father of many nations. Which means, friends, that for this promise to be fulfilled, Abraham could not do anything to make it happen. He had to trust that God was powerful enough to fulfill the promise that he made. He had to trust completely in God's power and no longer in himself. Now, verse 20 and 21 says this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced God was able to do what he has promised. Now, some of you who have been doing character studies on the person of Abraham, you say to yourself, is Paul right? Abraham didn't waver in his faith? Are you sure? Well, we go back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 12, he receives the first time the promise of God, the covenant of God. And right after he does that, he lies about his wife. In Genesis 15, he receives once again the covenant of God. He believes. In Genesis 16, right after that, he sleeps with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, trying to bring about God's promises by his own effort. In Genesis 17, when he is promised Isaac, he laughs. He laughs. In Genesis 20, he lies again. And yet in Genesis 22, he is faithful when God tested him with Isaac. So how do we hold these two things together? Did Abraham waver or did he not waver? Was he faithful to God or was he un? faithful to God. Friends, take note in verse 20 of Romans chapter 4, verse 20. It says, he grew strong in faith. It was not a faith that was automatically strong. He grew strong in faith. It was not his faith that made him be counted righteous. It was the fact that God had counted him righteous in his eyes on the basis of grace that made his faith strong. He grew strong in faith. The faith had to develop over time as he considered the promise of God and the power of God to fulfill that promise. Do you feel like your faith is small and your faith is weak? Join the club, friends. Join the club. But here's the encouragement. Your faith will not stay weak and stay small. Because as you continue to consider the promise of God and the power of God, like Abraham, your faith in God will grow. That is the answer why he was both unfaithful and faithful later. It was because he was counted as righteous in God's eyes. And because he was counted as righteous and it was all of grace, it changed him because he saw God and his power working in his life, assuring him over and over and over again, God is real and God is powerful. And the same thing can happen to you too. Tim Keller puts it this way. The life of faith is not the perfect life. It is a life which clings on to what God has said he will do 
and which sees struggles, joys, and failures as means of increasing our attachment to God who makes and keeps His promise. This is the Christian life, friends. This is the Christian faith. This is the faith, verse 22, that was counted to Him as righteousness. It was not his faithfulness that made him counted as righteous in God's eyes. No, friends. And it's not your faithfulness that makes you counted as righteous in God's eyes either. It is faith in Christ and Christ alone. But when you believe in the promise of God and the power of God, over time, your faith will grow strong. And that is what it means, friends, to be counted as righteous. You're given a new status by God. And it's not by works, it's not by ritual, it's not by law, it's by faith in the promise and the power of God. That is what it means for us to be counted as righteous. It was true of Abraham, and verse 23 and 24 tells us that it's also true of us. Look at verse 23. The words it was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. How, friends? Look at verse 24 and 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him, God, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, friends, it's only in Jesus Christ that all God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. Because it is only those who have faith in Jesus who are the offspring of Abraham. You, my friends, are the, are the answer, are the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that he would be heir of the world. And it's also in him, in Jesus, that God's power is most clearly displayed. God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. And therefore, we who have faith in him, trusting in the promises of God and the power of God, can be counted as righteous or justified in God's eyes, not just now, but for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we say to you, Father, how often our faith is weak. And sometimes we don't realize that our faith is weak because we have trusted in our own good works. We have trusted in the things that we have done or are doing. Or we have trusted in our level of obedience. And because of that, our relationship with you goes up and down like a sinusoidal wave, Lord. But we come to you recognizing, Lord, that that is not your will for us. Your will for us is to know without a shadow of a doubt that when we have believed in Jesus Christ, we have been given a status of righteous. And that is an unshakable and unchangeable status. You look upon us as righteous, and there will never be a day ever in eternity that you will ever look upon us as anything but righteous because of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that the more we believe in this, 
the more we take this into our hearts and know it with crystal clear clarity in our minds and in our lives that it will be translated into lives of faithfulness and lives of faith. Thank you, Lord, that you give us encouragement that even though our faith is small and weak, thank you, Lord, that even though we look at ourselves and see only sin and darkness, that we can have great hope that like Abraham, by trusting in you, by trusting in Christ, by trusting in your promise and your power, we will grow strong in faith. We will become holy. We will become the kind of people that you want us to be not in order to be counted as righteous, but because we have been counted as righteous. And so it's in that boldness, Lord, that we come before you and pray not just for ourselves, but our church, and not just for our church, but our world. Father, make us one covenant church, a church that recognizes that we have the status of being counted as righteous, and because of that, we can grow. We can grow to be a healthy church where more people are doing fewer things. We can grow to be a prayerful church where we are giving our hearts and minds together and individually to experiencing awe and intimacy with God. We can grow as an evangelistic church where we are reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can become a safe community where people experience the gospel and know what it means to work out differences in light of that gospel. We can be a place where there's a yakinate, where people's needs will be met, not just their spiritual needs, but their physical needs. We can be a place where there will be a, a, a pipeline of leaders raised up who are gospel-centered, who love you, who are broken and weak, but strong in you. We can be a place, Lord, where we will send people out into the mission field. We can be a place, Lord, where your people will be excited, not just for what they receive, but what they can give because you have poured out your grace in abundance to us, Lord. So, Father, we ask by your grace, in your promise, that you will fulfill all the things that you want of us as individuals and as a church. Lord, we know it seems impossible right now, but, Father, we believe that you are a God of the impossible because you have given us righteousness by faith, not by works. And we believe you, Lord, that it will be possible that the next step for our church will be that we will plant other churches, God. We pray, grow us, Lord. Grow us in grace. Grow us in understanding. Grow us in knowledge. Grow us in our experience of you. And give us, Father, a strong faith like you gave to Abraham. Not a faith that makes us righteous, but a faith that grows because we have been counted as righteous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.